0: Hey, 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 it is another episode of the Righteous Ratchet and Real Podcast. We are so glad that you are with us. I am Keisha and I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, the Dr. Greta and Renee. And uh, so we just want them to come in and say hey to the good people, real quick. Hey, people, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> How y'all doing? How y'all doing? What's going
1: on?
0: How you remember doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> y'all already know we are laughs and a whole lot of ratchetness and good conversation over here. And so we wanted to follow up this episode with talking about blindsided the Mm -hmm. episode we did before on the movie blindside and michael orr's story and his um current suit that's being uh played out and so We wanted to have a deeper conversation. We introduced the idea of white savior in that episode, but we wanted to dedicate an episode just to talking about that idea of white savior, allies, and co-conspirators. So... First, y'all, that blind side story is digging itself deeper and deeper. And I am here, and I don't know if this falls under pettiness or not, but social media sleuthing is a thing, y'all. They will dig back in the dredges of your life and find your first tweet ever. (laughs) And bring it up if it supports. They be like ready with the receipts, okay? And so I'm here for all of it. And so what we are seeing is that there is a clearer pattern that's emerging about the twoies and the fact that they definitely have done some lying about whether they were, you know. They knew that Michael Orr wasn't happy with the situation. They've gotten some interviews. I mean, the people are out here working hard day and night. Okay, TikTok is busy with a whole line of Michael Orr stories, and so one of the things that emerge is that Leanne Tui, bless her heart, has had another incident of seemingly underprivileged young Black boys that she has posted on social media. And so it is definitely giving us plenty of conversation around this idea of white savior. And so just to talk about white savior and the fact that I really am like, it is a complex issue. And I believe that that need to be seen is its own drug, like, you know, you're getting high off that supply of people just praising you for, you know, you showing up to save the poor, underprivileged people. And, you know, and so I think that honestly, if I were to place it or talk about it, I would say that it probably needs to be on the DSM as a branch of narcissistic personality disorder. Like it is that deep. In my opinion, now I'm not a psychologist, y'all, but I'm just saying that pattern of self-importance yeah. is evident right. within the white savior complex. And that need to center oneself, even when you are the perpetrator of a crime that you paint yourself as the hero. Come on, y'all. Okay. The fact that a person operating from that framework cannot see how they're harming someone else. hmm and exploiting someone else is just the evidence that it's a deep rooted disorder to me that we need to look at really considering so this term white savior originates from a poem um or the concept originates and starts with this poem by woodyard kipling entitled the white man's burden can we just say la and pause for a second right. take our catch our collective breaths or on- <laughs> The title alone, The White Man's Burden. The poem is an ode to empire, whiteness, and colonialism as a saving force. He wrote it during the Philippines-American War as the pompous tale of why America should rule over the Philippines for their own good. Y'all, let me just read a couple lines from the poem. This ain't going to be good.
1: <laughs> you already feel it, right? I, you can already tell. This is going to be some.
0: <laughs> this going to be some bullshiggy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Take up the white man's burden. Send forth the best ye breed. Go bind your sons to exile to serve your captives' needs. To wait in heavy harness on fluttered folk and wild, your new caught sullen peoples, half devil and half child. Take up the white man's burden in patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror and check the show of pride. Be open speech and simple and hundred times made plain to seek another's profit and work another's gain. Take up the white man's burden and reap his old reward. The blame of those ye better, the hate of those ye guard, the cry of hosts ye humor ah slowly toward the light why brought ye us from bondage our loved Egyptian night and the poem ends this way cold edged with dear bought wisdom the judgment of your peers it's the audacity for me y'all it's the audacity that you are sitting here talking about other human beings as half devil and half child, not full human. The fact that you're saying after you rescue them, that they then will come and ask why you rescued them. And that you are judged because of it. And that that is all the white man's that's their ploy that that's their, their 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 plight i'm sorry that's the word i'm looking for that's their plight to rescue folks over and over again and then they in the end actually are not happy about what you did y'all this is why they don't want us to learn crit- critical race theory this is why they don't want to have that discussion this isn't the episode isn't on critical race theory but this is why they want to erase history and give us this sanitized version of things that they did. Because this rhetoric is still practiced, it's still alive, and it is definitely more and more evident, especially as we study and see what they did before. So y'all react to the poem. Greta's got her hand on her head. She's still trying to catch herself. Go off y'all. I the whole
1: spring because I'm just like, I'm just done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go off y'all because I know I'm boiling. When I read it, I was boiling and I was like, just tell us, tell us how you feel. So, So
2: Rudyard Kipling is also the author of Jungle Book. The Jungle Book, we all know that. That lovely children's movie, um, and so <clears throat> it speaks to that fact. Because because once you got to the the, the first line about half devil, uh, half child, I, I stopped. I just blacked out at that point. <laughs> so so I don't even know what the rest of the poem really says. Um, but when you think about the fact that some of the the great uh, authors. Of children's books and great literature, you know, that, that we have been taught in school have been these gigantic racist clowns who, you know, may not have shown uh their full hand in some of the works that are beloved by by a lot of us, but
0: um it's just in the chocolate factory. Yeah. I just learned about that one and it's racist. You know, yes yeah. of, of the word and everything. No.
2: Yeah, it's it's just wild how um this country in particular and the West as a whole has been built on racism, on it's just insidious. It's everywhere. It's in it's it's in the it's the water. It's the water, it's not in the water, it's the water, right? It's the air that we breathe. It is so much ingrained into society. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't know how white people are able to begin going about, this is not my work, but I'm just saying, how, how are they even able to separate whiteness from that? That's my question. I, I don't even, I you know, I don't even know. And I have... um you know, lots of of folk who are actively working to be anti-racist in their lives. Some of them some of them are doing it loudly, some doing it quietly. Mm -hmm. But I don't envy that work, child, because it is baked into the pie of whiteness. It it absolutely is.
1: Yeah. All I can do is not.
0: there is this line in there that also strikes me when we talk about rhetoric that is currently prevalent within the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched the Republican debates, y'all. And so this is why this line stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And it says, in patience to abide, to veil the threat of terror and to check the show of pride. And Mm -hmm. I think about how Border security is one of their number one things, you know, or platforms that they are standing on right now. And this idea that the white man's burden is to close the border off because of the terror that is coming from the brown people below us. I'm like, y'all, we're not going to talk about how you funded cartels to try to destabilize. Mexico right and the Mexican government and now you're over here acting like it's your job now to save us (laughs) from all the fentanyl deaths that are happening because of you know that, and here's my thing, y'all. The Dems don't want to get get messy, and not that they're they're either the answer, but I'm like y'all. I just will be pulling cards because they definitely pulled cards before. So just pull cards about you know how we funded the cartels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
2: Iran and, Contra. Uh, I remember the whole Iran Contra scandal and all of that. And yeah, all the things that came out from from that. So the United States has long been uh, Mm -hmm. the business of destabilizing only to then try to rush in and be
0: white savior. Right. It's
2: madness. madness.
0: Yes. So y'all, we want to talk about how, for me, it is hard to talk about the white savior complex and not also talk about this idea of missionary work right
1: mm, so yes
0: much yeah. of our faith is grounded in Matthew 28 19 and 20. go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit yes. teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you I oh. know I am with you always to the close of the age. Hey, glory. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I can you know this. This is is the the missionary you know framework that much of colonial and empire use as they went in to conquer other nations. Yes, with this whole idea that they are going to save the people the heathens, from themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, missionary work in this white savior complex, I think identity are very much so intertwined. And this idea of bringing the savages the gospel, and I use savages simply as terminology that they use, the white oppressor used to go... um, in to save them from their sinful ways you know this idea of rescuing people from lives of poverty and lives of you know just being lost and so they're bringing people white saviors and not bringing people jesus that is to me you know what it was they weren't they weren't bringing people jesus they were bringing people white saviors and that is evidence even in how they depict Jesus to Mm -hmm. the people so Jesus becomes no longer a brown or black person but Jesus becomes a white blue eyed long blonde haired man who somehow lived in an area where that doesn't exist naturally and so they brought this white savior and in In it, they have brought to people what they believe are all the answers. They bring all the knowledge and that is where the problem lies. And honestly, that framework is still much of missionary work today. And it just has oftentimes black and brown faces with it as well, going into nations and bringing that same white savior complex. Mm -hmm. Wow. How do we navigate that? How do we navigate between the gospel's message to go and to bring the message of Christ to every nation, make disciples, and then still have it be that we're not bringing our culture, our norms, and our ideas? So I'll say for
1: me, I got two points I want to make. So you mentioned about how, you know, they brought this white savior. And I would say it wasn't even white savior. Well, in addition to, they brought white terrorism. When you read the things that they did, the missionaries and the priests and all of these people did uh, in the name of Jesus, it is gut-wrenching. And so (laughs) how do you even... And even the things that take place now when you talked about the border, how can you huh how can you rationalize or or even sit with yourself to say, I'm going to separate these children from their parents and you're doing it under whatever scripture they quoted um out of Corinthians. How do you even reconcile? that what you're doing is okay in the eyes of god and it's terrorist terrorist tactics all over again that's the first point the second point when we read matthew and 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 the great commission that's what we call it um the other thing jesus told them at some point was to wait i'm going to send you the holy spirit and then you will go and be witnesses Mm Folk ain't waiting, y'all. The people who have gone out to do the work or to say they have gone out to do the work, they did not wait for the Holy Spirit because Mm -hmm. I'm a believer that if you had waited for the Holy Spirit, you would have gone out and done things much differently than you did than to go out in your own strength and to do your own mess.
2: Now, Greta, that was the exact place I was coming from Acts 1 and 8 that's exactly that's it. it that's it the big difference is one the Holy Ghost and two being witnesses yes right telling people about me is what the text is it says you right. should be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth look Jerusalem represents home yes.
1: So, Come on, be Renee.
2: A, a witness in your own house, right? Tell your kids, your grandkids about me, right? Judea is your neighborhood. Samaria, you know, is your greater area, and the other parts of the world. And I don't believe that the text is asking us to do all of those things, right? Mm. Not all of them. We don't. We don't all have to go to the other most parts of the earth, right? There are people assigned to do that. There are people assigned to do some of the other stuff in your neighborhood, but for sure we are to 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 be witnesses in our own homes. Mm-hmm. But I think the point is just like you said that people have gone out without the Holy Ghost, and they're going to try to do all these things when Jesus simply asked us to be witnesses, right? To be witnesses. That's very different than taking over and changing, uh, changing how you do, you know, and and right. Uh, casting down altars, you know, in other people's communities and talking bad about folk and stuff. You no, know, nah, no, that is not what God is asking when it comes to being uh, missionaries. That that ain't it. That ain't it. So I don't know, y'all. That, that just lit a fire under me. I, I really, yeah, this white savior complex is just from way, from way
0: back, way back. It is. And, and it uses, I think it's important that we understand that it uses the Bible to, -hmm. to, to prop itself up. It uses, you know, scripture out of context or definitely out of not even necessarily out of context, but out of spirit to use what you said, Greta to do what it wants to do. And so missionary, um, work has definitely been something that's been difficult for me, like this idea of, you know, you know, missions and just um, helping people, whatever you want to call it, because it has been so um, misused as a term and as a practice. And so when we were getting ready to go to um, my seminary, Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., one of... (laughs) One of the things that they did for us is that we had to have cross ministry experiences. And so it was intentional about um, experiencing ministry in a context that is completely different than your own. And so one of the aspects that they talked about with that is the fact that You know, we were going over to South Africa. We were going to take school supplies, going to take clothes, take all of those things. Um, But it was not framed in a missionary um, endeavor. It was framed in a way that helped us to understand that we are going to learn. We're not going to take something to people. We're going to learn. And so it was very much about a reciprocal relationship that we learn and we're giving as well. And I think that if we're talking about how we um, strip the white savior complex from missionary work, I think it has to begin with that conversation is that we're not going to take Jesus to people, we're going to interact with human beings who have lives and what is it that God can speak to us in that interaction. I feel that we can share our experiences with the divine, our testimonies with the divine, but understanding that I don't have to convert somebody to begin a relationship and a discussion. And I think if we take that off of ourselves, it will make such a huge difference because missionary work and how it's practiced, especially, look. Greta, within the AME church, we understand that it is not even just about going to other places. It is within our own communities that the missionaries are active in doing work. And so we have to strip ourselves of this mind frame that we are going into people to convert them As opposed to we're going in to meet a need that people may have, but to engage in conversation with people, to hear people, to interact and just tell about our lives and what we've seen. And if they never utter the name Jesus, that it's okay because we're just called to interact with these people. And so for me, that is the biggest thing that I think we need to learn. Our churches need to do about, you know, when we're teaching about missionary work, when we're even teaching about this scripture, because the expectation that people have to fully convert in order to be saved is problematic for me. And it's deeply linked back to this white savior complex. And so we have to, we have to do that. And One of the things for me um, is that we can also engage still in this practice and we do it through social media, y'all. We are social media saviors, white saviors. You know, like we go in and we're like, oh, look at the poor, unfortunate people at the soup kitchen. Let me take a picture of me serving at the soup kitchen. Mm. Again, centering ourselves, wanting to be seen at the detriment of other people in their worst times. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many, how I like had to have a come to Jesus moment. We talked about kindness, y'all. A come to Jesus moment where I had to be kind to someone because she took a bunch of pictures when they went out. Um, to give socks donation, sock donations, and toiletries. And she's like, Look at us in this unhoused camp. Like, look at these poor, unfortunate people. Look at me doing ministry. And I was like, This right here <laughs> is just icky. Mm. And I used it as a teaching moment to say, What if that were you? Do you want somebody to take a picture of you? Do you want to be a photo op? Do you want to be someone pointing and saying, look at how good I am?
2: Mm.
0: And I feel like if people want to do honest ministry work, missionary work, then that is the question you have to say is what if this were me? Mm -hmm. That's also Bible, right? How would I want to be treated? in that moment because it's easy to point the finger at these white people writing about, you know, uh, writing poems and 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 taking the gospel to quote unquote, you know, the, the savages, but where are we also perpetuating that same ideology?
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Jessa. That's a little bit of breath because I think we all it's 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 a bit in all of us Mm -hmm. that we have to check because of the inherited gospel that we have had and that we even as black people are always fighting to rid ourselves of the way in which it has been taught to us.
1: Mm hmm
0: all right y'all so let's get a little bit more lighthearted um what are some white savior flags that you guys have seen what are some of the things that you've seen and experienced you know with that whole white savior complex
2: Hmm. I mean, we talked about it in the in the Blind Side episode. I think the whole adopt the, the cross cultural adoption situation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is really a challenge for me to to view. Um, I know that uh, there are a whole bunch of of barriers to adoption in this country. I know that I, I absolutely know that. Um, but you don't have to go outside this country to find a child in need. And to, you know, have these have have children that are brown, black and brown, uh, in other countries that are in need, you know, there there's they lined up at at foster care, they lined up. Um, so that whole idea that you have to go, well, we went all the way across the country, you know, across the world to find you and blah, blah, blah. Like, really? You couldn't Columbus a kid, you know. <laughs> downtown like you couldn't find a kid downtown mm-hmm. and you know I, I don't know there's something to that that is that feels icky to me um but yeah yeah that's my biggest white savior uh red flag right there
1: i think i'm seeing it more in seminaries Um, The good meaning seminaries who want to do the work so that they can avail themselves of their whiteness and claim allyship, or maybe, you know, I don't know, but, and, and to put it loosely, they're the good white people, but still end up being having that savior complex because now that I'm the good white person I can go and tell other white people how to be good white people. So it's 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 like this never ending cycle. So you know you want to do the work so that you can be now the good white people who are uh allies to blacks or whoever the case may be so that you can go and tell so save somebody else from being so it's like that's where I'm seeing it. Seeing it uh, mostly these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I, I, I definitely hearken back to that whole
0: "see me," you know, social media posts of you know black folks that are at, that are you know helping people, and we want it to be known. We're broadcasting it, but I think it also, um, for me, is showing up and sometimes how we talk about the LGBTQ, uh, you know, population and, you know, we, our, our, our words, you know what i mean how we show up in those communities can be so in the same way like look at me i'm the good person who is you know fighting for their rights and so it, again it it talk it, it's coming to that place where you don't need to be seen you're more worried about the population that you're quote unquote helping which ends has us come to this idea and the um conversation that we brought up in the blindsided episode is that there is a place for ally there's a place for the well there is no place for the white savior we, we don't want them <laughs> We, we do not want them at all. But there's a place for ally. And then there's also a place for someone who is a co-conspirator slash accomplice, right? And so I wanted to spend some time talking about that, what an ally is. And an ally is someone who understands the problem and advocates on behalf of the community that's being mistreated. It's a place of comfort. Like, let's be clear. It is a place of comfort. It is a place of where you get to sit back and participate from a safe distance away that you're not under direct fire it's not that it's not important as a matter of fact one article i read said that you should start at ally and your ideal or the place and the goal that you're working to is towards accomplish accomplice somebody who's willing to get their hands you know dirty in the fight and take the hits alongside so at least start an ally whatever that is whether it is you know whatever um population you feel is not the majority and you see experiencing um hardships get in the fight become an ally but then it's your goal to work towards that place that's not as comfortable where you're taking the hints alongside them, um, where you get into the direct line of fire. And so it is important when we talk about being an ally and not being a white savior is that you need to center the needs of the people you are allying with. That for me right there is one of the things that drives me bananas because so many people claim the title of ally, but they get into the communities and they do not hear the needs of the people that are in the community. Mm -hmm. And I do not just say this for white folks. Like I'm very intentional when I'm saying this, even as those of us listening and us as the podcasters are black women we still need to understand and hear that y'all i can't tell you how many times i've heard churches go into communities and they are coming from affluent educated places of privilege because even in america as we are people who are um experiencing not being the privileged we still live in privileges i'm an educated black woman That is a privilege. Mm -hmm. And so I cannot go into a community that I have no experience in, and then think that I know the answers of how to get them out. I may have at best studied what it's like to live in that community. I haven't lived it, I don't know it. And Mm -hmm. so therefore I have to listen to the people. And so that is a message even to us within ministry. Within school settings, you know, where we're trying to do good for people, make sure that we are listening to the people that are in the community. That's how we don't fall into that white savior complex where they think they know what's best for people. Listen to the people, value them, think that they they know enough about their lives to say what they want to hear and what they want to see. Stop going in thinking you are going to save them. Allies, you are not going in to save anybody. You are going in to work beside people. You're going in to ask them, what do they need and how can I help you? Like that's even language that I'm very uh, careful to use when your friends share with you a problem. Mm -hmm. Don't show up with an answer. Ask them, how do you need me to show up? Because how you may want to show up may not be how they need you to show up.
1: That's good. Mm -hmm. And
0: so... Find out from them as an ally what are their pressing issues, not what you think they need. Don't assume they don't know what's best for them. Assume instead that they do know what's best for them and that they don't need your saving. And so also one of the things about being an ally is be aware of your own biases. Mm-hmm. Like you need to know what your, your, you know, your blind spots are to lean into that whole blind side, you know. <laughs> What are your blind spots because you are coming from a place of privilege that you may not recognize and being aware of those things and how they can cause you to show up in those spaces, how you speak about people, how you may think in that um, conversation because of your of your places of being. So also, if you're coming in as an ally, amplify the voices of the marginalized people. I take it, <laughs> <laughs> right? When you are the majority person mm-hmm. and you have access to spaces where people will listen, take the opportunity, but bring somebody who is from that community into the room, highlight their voices and their work in what they've been doing. So you don't, you know, again, end up as the, the glorified figure in somebody else's struggle. And don't assume that the people that you are represented even though they may be in an underinvested community that they feel oppressed. Mm-hmm. Because that is definitely harkening back to that poem like oh you know you need us to save save you because you don't know what you're doing. You're not good enough. And so we can't bring that same energy in. And so the best explanation for a co-conspirator that I saw is from a quote I read in the Baptist News Global, and it says this, if you claim to be someone's ally, but aren't being hit by the stones thrown at them, you aren't standing close enough. And so it's this quote from Derek Webb, who is a CCM artist, and he decided to record uh, Christian music alongside um, a drag queen, Flamey Grant. And so his quote is about the fact that not only has he decided to um, record with this artist, but he then in the video uh, shows this metaphor metamorphosis into a full drag queen himself and so he's getting close enough to get all the hits he was already getting hits you know when he was you know just a white man who's singing alongside a drag queen but when he decides to say okay turn me into a drag queen he's like I'm getting close enough to take all the hits. And I think that that is the goal of what it is to become an accomplice or co-conspirators, that you stand close enough alongside the people that you're working with, that you're allied with, that you also are getting hit by the stones. So ladies, do you have any thoughts on the differences or any convictions or even commitments that you want to make in, in terms of thinking over this conversation about white savior versus ally versus co-conspirator?
2: I remember when I was uh, working at a group home for teen moms and their kids, it was a Christian group, uh, organization. And a lot of times I was called on to be a spokesperson for the organization out in the community. And I cringe when I think about some of the ways in which I at the time was a black uh, American citizen, right? A woman, educated, no children at the time, single, some of the ways that I would speak about my girls who were teenagers, not educated, uh, first generation in this country, um, immigrants, uh, and they were parents. And I recall a lot of the ways that the audience that I was speaking to often were gobbling up this whole sad story about these girls who often were brought here by their parents and some of their parents had gone back to their countries of origin and then they had gotten pregnant and these girls gotten pregnant on their own. And how, you know, after my presentation, we would be at a reception or whatever and they'd be like, oh, it's so sad about these girls and, oh, their lives are just so, you know. Whereas when I would go back to, group home the girls would be laughing and talking and enjoying themselves and playing with their babies and happy and joyful and all of these things and it just would not line up right Mm -hmm. and so there was this narrative that that i had to really think about you know what are you actually saying about these girls what help do they need they needed money child they didn't need pity they needed money They needed money. They needed allies to help them navigate some of the systems that they were encountering around citizenship, you know, getting their papers and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not need pity. Mm-hmm. And so when we're, when I'm thinking about the ways in which this white savior or savior complex shows up, that is one way that it showed up for me. Mm-hmm. I had to really figure out, okay, you know, this. this feels very... Um, belittling and it doesn't honor how God is operating in these young women's lives already. You know, the miracle that it was that they were able to survive what they survived to be able to get to that group home, Mm -hmm. the ways in which God had been touching their lives and and keeping them and their children healthy and and just all of those things. And so I had to to do some work and I still cringe uh, on my early times with the organization. I still cringe when I think about it. But that is very much where I started thinking about the ways in which I needed to be a co-conspirator versus an ally who could just talk using some of the language. I needed to be a co-conspirator and allowing the girls to speak for themselves and to really be about the life of procuring the resources that they actually needed versus
1: just talking about it. You know, So that's one reflection I have. I think for me, my takeaway from this, I don't want to say the entire discussion, but certainly one of the things that has stood out is the quote that you just gave, Keisha. You know, if we're going to be someone's ally or even co conspirator, and if we aren't being hit by the stones that are being thrown at them, then we're not close enough. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is. And so, uh, yeah, that's it's still speaking to me. So, um, but yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I think, um, it definitely,
0: um, for me, is the fact that always work towards that place of being willing to take those stones. Mm-hmm. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to be our first inclination, you right. know, and then also being aware of our biases because I think it's comfortable um because we are already people who are um experienced oppression within you know because of who we are that sometimes we can forget what it means to be in the place of privilege Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that that you know is one of the things that really kind of both of those things have been kind of poking at me within this episode is that we we are always engaging in the work to make sure that we're aware of where we are holding our own biases and our own blind spots and ensuring that as much as we are wonderful, we know, as much as there are some great white allies, we've been in the space with them and we know what that looks like, you know, when they yeah. they think they know it all and they first to raise their hands and name your situation they think, feel like better than you can. And so taking that same thing as much as we um, are trying to help educate white allies that we also in the places where we are calling ourselves being allies, like you said, um, Renee it was with teenage moms, you know, that looked like you, but from a different place. And so we have to make sure that we're checking ourselves that we're not just trying to even point the fingers at other people and say how they're not showing up, but make sure that when we're showing up that we are also looking at ways in which we can, need to point the fingers back at ourselves. You know, I feel like Greta should should uh, go ahead and quote the, the, the scripture, you know, the speck in your eye. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like Greta be the one, but. <laughs> <laughs> Clean that log out, y'all. <laughs> exactly, you got a beam in your eye. <laughs> See, I told you, didn't it feel more authentic coming from Greta than it did right? <laughs> Right. right. Two by four. (laughs) See I had to give her a lot. I had to feed her her line. (laughs) (laughs) We're so grateful though that you guys continue to show up and listen to the righteous ratchet in real podcast that you're part of the community that you're growing and learning with us and experiencing new ways we want you to please leave a review if you have not done so yet leave a review about the podcast that is our goal is to up our reviews and so we want you to help us do that by reviewing the podcast for us it's important your voice matters okay (laughs) and so thank you um People for getting in or being willing to get into good trouble and to be willing to be accomplices and allies with other people. And we leaving behind that white savior complex and all of its offshoots. We are actively engaging in getting rid of that nonsense and foolery. All right, y'all. See you for the next podcast. All right. Deuces.
2: Bye. Bye, y'all.
1: Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous real, ratchet real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous ratchet, and real. righteous, ratchet, and real, 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 Righteous, ratchet, and real, real, I feel exposed. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the righteous ratchet and real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye
2: the church. We're three friends, balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might
0: say some things we're not supposed to,
1: but you are probably thinking it anyway.
2: You know how we say in the church,
0: charge, charge to our, our head, head. head. And, and not our, our heart. heart. We're going to keep it real.